Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. He has a great quote that I love, which is jokes are, are a miracle. Like it's a miracle I can even write any of these. You would mainly help edit and tone jokes. Right, yeah, my big three were always clarity, specificity, and brevity. Like if I can work that into every joke, that it's 100% clear what this joke is. The premise was the most important part of a lot of those jokes. Hot breath. What is goody hot breath of verse? We back out here. This is the show where you learn comedy from the pros. If this is your first time tuning in, Welcome to the Hot Breathiverse. We have over 400 interviews about the craft of comedy. I'm your host, Joel Byers. I'm a comedian and podcaster and just comedy nerd that loves learning and helping other comics level up their game. Speaking of which, this episode is co-hosted by Hot Breath Pro member Bo Johnson, who you have heard on other author series episodes as well. He actually came up with this idea and helped make it all happen. So he is there to lead the way, and I'm there in the co-pilot just to learn right along with you, the Hot Breathiverse. So buckle up, get out your notebook, and there's only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Wayne Fetterman. All right, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Wayne Fetterman. All right, thanks, guys. I'm here already. How are you, sir? I'm swell. I'm swell. I love that there's no further ado. One of my favorite expressions that no one really knows what it means. I think it means without any more talking. But have you ever used ado any other time other than that context? Much ado. I like well, it. I a little Shakespeare. Yeah. Little Shakespeare. Uh, so that, actually, that actually might be an interesting thing is what does that term mean, <laughs> ado? I don't know. You said it on your podcast. Yeah, you like, I don't know, Bo. It. You said it. <laughs> That's so. It's so old school term that we just all use it, but we don't know what it really means. I know. Um, just like with so many words, we just say it because hey, everybody else says it, and it's in our vocabulary, and so we say it. Right. Um, hit, which is proven if you have not seen it. As a side note, if you've not seen it on Netflix with Nicolas Cage, is the history of cuss words. Oh, right. I heard about that. Yeah. It is funny, but it is interesting to go throughout the history. You're a history buff. History this is what I'm learning about you. Cut. There is actually people who write books on the history of cussing. <laughs> Go is a, he's a history teacher. Yeah, he, he, I, he I, I am. Buff. You're yeah, a teacher as well. I love it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> why is, why the resigned sigh and the <laughs> vague, you know, because uh, I, I, you know, it's a long, is it terrible? Is it? I, the yeah, his, you, of, you don't have to tell me if you becoming, don't want becoming a teacher. Look, I love history and I I love teaching. I really do. I wouldn't give it up. It's made for some good comedy writing, and um, because students are just great with with their comments yeah. and questions that just make it hilarious. But now that I see where I should have done with my life, I'm like, oh, Ooh, yeah. fork in the road, right? And actually, we had an interview with one of our. Uh, a member of hot breath yesterday, Bobby Sutton. And she was mm -hmm. telling us about her dad's story of, look, I'm, I'm a dentist to the stars. I've got all this money and houses and, and cars. And it's like, I'm miserable. 
Mm. Really? I didn't succeed because I'm not happy with my career. Go be a comedian if that's what you want to do. If it, if you're broke, but you're happy with what you do, go for it. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not broke. So it's like, it's yeah. like you know, Wayne, if you're broke, do it. It's, it's like, you know what? But going back to the history, the teacher thing, I love doing comedy. I love, you know, even, right. even the worst nights on stage, it is... It is better than having like, hey, guess what? Everybody passed a test. Yay. All right. Ugh. Well, uh, anyways, I, I don't know much about Joel. Is yes. He also a stand up. I am a stand up. I've been doing stand up, stand up 11 years. I wow. started okay. a hot breath podcast five years ago, and we've done over 300 interviews with comedians. I love it. Okay. And, well, thank uh, you for having me. I'd love. So where was you. your first stand up set in two? Th- I assume before. In 2010, right? I'm doing the math in my head. Yeah. Side Splitters Comedy mm-hmm. Club in Knoxville, Tennessee. The yeah, side room. Yeah. There's about five mm-hmm. people there. They all worked there. But uh, I didn't bomb. People smiled. So I've, yeah. I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. I love it. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being here. You know, we're all about helping comics and really just giving them that inside insight. And I know you right. share that as well, even just teaching stand up at USC and all the other things you do. So we're excited. Yeah, about I know. This. According to Bo, teaching means I'm a loser, but no, I actually mean you're a loser. <laughs> I think you mean you're a loser. It's just, you know, I should have picked a different career, but I didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> Look, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Uh huh. And count and high school counselors suck. And that's what I, you I are. Want, you're a guidance counselor. No. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, high school counselors told you to do that. Okay, I got. No, nah, it's just you know. I got you. Anyways, okay. too many students, too little counselors. That's a different subject for a different day. So uh, what we <laughs> a, a cool thing we do here, Wayne. What is actually one? I want to get into the history and the context of comedy and how we got to where we are for sure. But I know you've also written monologue jokes for Fallon and you've mm-hmm. been on that team. And something yep. we do at Hop in Hot Breath every single day is we do this thing called the Write 10 Club where we get a new word and write a new joke in 10 minutes. I love it. So like from you having that experience of writing for a monologue and churning out a bunch of different jokes, like do you have any techniques or systems that maybe we could start applying to like our Write 10 Club? Well, there was different comedians that used different techniques on our team there at late night. Some would do the just make a list of all the words that just come to your head and then about like maybe two separate topics and see how you can connect them. That's Mm -hmm. one way of doing it. It's, It's almost like a math situation. And then there's other comedians that would take a long time and just like would not come up with a lot of jokes, but would come up something that was like, oh, this is an inspired moment and just let it marinate in her head. And then there was some like, I don't know if you know, Anthony Jesselnick mm-hmm. was on the staff with me. So he wrote in a different way than Morgan Murphy and myself wrote. So there was there was no one technique, except there was a, a deadline. So we had to deal with that. What was your technique? My take, well, I was the head monologue writer. So I was more, I was very lucky. I was more, jokes would come in, I'd fix them up, I'd tone them down, I'd cut out the fat, I'd, you know, put it in Jimmy's voice. Cause Jimmy, I've known Jimmy pre SNL. I've known him wow. before he even moved to LA. So we, I used to, he used to open for me on the road. So I just know, I know him, I know him quite a bit. And then eventually I, you know, I'm opening for him. 
the natural <laughs> state of things, the actual state of the way it should be. He's way more talented than I am. So, uh, so anyway, so I kind of knew his rhythm and his kind of boyish like thing. It, you, it, he wasn't going to be like intellectual, like, um, Oh, I don't mean that he's not smart. I mean, he's, he, he's just the way he connects with the crowd is not through like super big words or anything like that. He's a very direct, easygoing, fun. He's just a super fun guy. So, so that's what I did. Does that explain it at all? Yeah. So when it comes to editing, but how is word, word economy and word choice? And I know I, one of your favorites, Seinfeld, I've heard him say that he, he will spend an hour like making eight words, five. Yep. If he can, like, what is that editing process for you look this is it's it's partly science but it's a lot art it's a lot of just like oh that word sounds funny to me oh concussion protocol sounds like a funny expression let me try to see if i can work this in here oh so it's it's just art and that's why seinfeld is the master he would like figure out almost uh, like a like a mad scientist like how the best way to get to these jokes he has a great quote that i love which is jokes are are a miracle. Like it's a miracle. I can even write any of these. (laughs) So I love it. And that's somebody who's been doing it over 50 years. Yeah. So yeah, you look for when you're editing, you look for like, what are funnier words that I could use here? Um, Not necessarily. No, just again, what did you say earlier? Did you say word economy and what? Yeah. Well, you talked about, you would mainly help edit and tone jokes. Right. So it's like, I always, yeah. Yeah, my big three were always clarity, specificity, and brevity. Like, if I can work that into every joke, that Mm -hmm. it's 100% clear what this joke is. And to tell you the truth, a lot of times, I wish I had an example. I haven't done it in, I I mean, I left that job in 2011, a year after you started, or (laughs) 2010, the year you started. Wow. was when I left that job, uh, because I'm more of a, Bit, I like writing bits more than individual jokes, but um, yeah, that the premise was the most important part of a lot of those jokes. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't have been too convoluted of what the information you want them to have in their head to to set up the joke. So there was a lot to it. There was a lot to it. It was hard. Obviously, I'm not there anymore, so I'm not great at it. <laughs> we know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> did you see Imri's question? Uh, uh, let's see. How did how did Anthony Jeselnik write? How did yeah? How did he write? <laughs> well, he, wrote it he twice. No, no. Yeah. He was first of all. He comes from a little bit of his initial joke style, and you can when you interview him, you can ask him. Was a little. I mean, he he writes one liners, but his is are like very complex almost puzzles like you're he sets it up with this information and you're like okay where is he going with this and then he'll do a twist on a twist so it's it's he's a multi-level guy he's like um like in star trek or something when they would play multi-level chess um so he he was i don't know if he was a perfect fit and i think he would say that for jimmy fallon because he's dark he loves to really examine the dark side of humanity, which is part of humanity. And so he's not afraid to not only not afraid, he leans into he embraces that in his stand up, whereas Jimmy is a little more on the more, more light frivolity, 
let's have a good time side of life. And so, but here's the crazy thing. Like when Jesselnik put his mind to it, he could bang out jokes as good as anyone. It's just sometimes I felt like he was like more interested in writing a set because he was at the cellar later that night and was more interested in that. That was my take. I'm not, I'm telling you, he was like, I loved working with him and we had a ton of laughs. Like we just laughed quite a bit. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So get, getting into your book, one of the things I noticed is like early on, you showed a, this long list of the greatest comedy duos. Yeah. 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 And one of the things I've noticed I was reading is like, as the list went on, the closer we got to modern day, the fewer, yep. the fewer, the fewer yep. duos. Why, why do you think we don't have comedy duos? anymore? Because it looks like there's only two out there. Um, there's more than two, but you're talking about the Sklar brothers and the Lucas brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, I, this is my, again, I, I don't do, if you read my book, there's no theories in my book. It's just, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. Just straight up history. Here's my theory. And please, if I'm wrong, tell me and, and teach me. My theory is that sketch comedy, which started in about 1955, took over what comedy teams do. Mm. Like, so those, so all of the shows from, Sid Caesar's show and like the those excuse me sketch didn't start in 1955 improv started in 1955 with the compass players which became second city and UCB and you know all of these uh, these companies so I think a lot of people that might have been in a comedy team gravitated towards doing characters doing not directly talking to an audience like this stand-up style first person narrative where you're like I'm me this is my story. I hope to God you laugh or at least in Joel's case, smile, those five people, you know, it's, so that's, so it's a slightly different art form. That's my guess. What do you think? How does that sound to you guys? I, I like, and it makes me almost inspired because like when we had Jeff Foxworthy on here, he talked yes. about always looking for the empty parking spaces that you can fill and it almost mm-hmm. sounds like comedy duo may be an empty parking space right now in yep. a lot of ways. I agree with that. I agree with that. And, uh, I mean, Jeff is a great example of just finding – he calls this parking space. Some people call it finding your own lane. It always has to do with driving, right? There's always <laughs> – a so it's uh, – I learned how to parallel park when I did uh, voices. I did – I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> – yeah, no, that's absolutely true. That's my feeling. I just feel like stand-up is so personal that it's mm. hard to find. Although, would you say Key and Peele are a comedy team? Kind of. Yeah, a little I mean, bit. Kind of, yeah. A little bit. That's I true, mean, yeah. But if you think about really what they do, it's sketch. Mm. Right. Yep. Right. right. I mean, it, it's – yeah, it's not like they have, like, you know – uh, a room in, in Vegas or touring or anything. Like right, that. right, right, right. Like, like the big duos. Yeah. Oh, can I do. give you another example of sure. someone who's sort of taken over the comedy team genre, which is interaction between two people, as opposed to first person speaking directly to the crowd. And two of the top 10 earners on Forbes list of stand up um, comedy acts are ventriloquists. Huh? If you think of what Jeff Dunham does, that's a comedy team. You think of what uh, Terry Fader, Vader, mm-hmm. Fader, I met him. I can't even pronounce his last name. Incredible comedy team. 
back and forth. Right? Yeah. I didn't even How think is about that laid? Look at that. Some high end knowledge from Fetterman. Boom. That's Boom. Why we laying it on. Laying it on. Kaboom. I'm going to dab. Do you ever dab? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I haven't yet. I haven't yet. But uh, I see you do it. But look, look, Joel, Joel is a dab <laughs> not freak. Gonna it. Him- I'm not going to do it. I can't be. I'm, don't shame his- me into dabbing. Joel's comedy office is his like free space to dab all he wants. So right. His wife doesn't but what does he say? Control. He did it earlier. Does he say something? Is there like a hoo or what do you say when you do it? Is dab. there a I usually say dab when I dab? Can you do it one more time? How do you do it? Dab. Dab. Okay. So dab. you're actually you saying what you're doing. Like yeah, yeah, you that just doesn't up, like heads up seven. Uh, up. I see we're yeah, we're on audio right here. So it's hard to <laughs> One time I gave him 30 seconds to do a demonstration, a, 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 yeah. a teaching of, of dab, and he took five minutes and then got in trouble with his wife. Oh, I love it. So. Ashley just commented and said, Joel, I swear to God, do not make Fetterman dab. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. So um, <laughs> getting back to Mr. Fetterman on, and his book and not the dabbing. Uh, Guys, tutorial. we don't, I mean, I'd love to talk about the book, but we can talk about anything. We can talk about stand up <laughs> or, you know, a- anything you guys are. I don't want it to be like, oh, and, you know, we don't, he only and, wanted to talk about the book. Just, you know, try and to we'll, push. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about a lot of things. And okay, listeners, cool. if you have let questions, please yeah, about put them anything, up. Anything. So like with the history, what, in your in your mind, or and I know there's not a lot of theories to this, but what makes earlier comedians stand out compared to modern comedians? I don't, I don't, I don't even understand that question. Why you're saying modern comedians do not stand out in any way? Do they? Okay, so do they stand out differently? So okay, so for earlier comedians, how to board this? A Joel, modern help comedian him, help him, compared Joel, to help this poor guy. one of the <laughs> classic. <laughs> And I'm losing my sound here um, to a classic comedian who's like stood the test of time. Everybody knows their name, knows their material. Give me an example. Don't I, I just need <laughs> concrete examples. Here's Everybody you knows their name. The I've actually <laughs> lost the, the audio. Oh, you can't hear me. Oh, good. Joel. Is it no, actually, us? it's it's on my end. I think my head oh, okay. just okay. went out. Sorry. Um, okay. Just give me an example. Wait. I don't know what that everyone knows. Like, just for, let me give you an example. Like, um, like yesterday, I'm working on this documentary on, for HBO on George Carlin, and we just interviewed yesterday Lily Tomlin. And in the interview, she was talking about that not a lot of people know her anymore. Else, you know. And I'm like, Lily Tomlin was so huge. I mean, Grammy, Emmy, Tony. She's she's won all of these things, uh, a Mark Twain Prize. So it was like for her to go like. You know, it just marches on. So so give me an example of someone you think of that everyone that stands out and that comedians today don't stand out. Okay, so if you had to come, um, well, okay, Carlin. George Carlin, yeah. Okay, so years and years later, we know who he is. Um, okay. Even right. even even going back further, Moms Mabley. People know who Moms Mabley is. For someone like a comedian like them, to stand out all these decades later and go, we know who that is. Mm-hmm. I think you have to do something extraordinary. And when I break down extraordinary, I think that means extraordinary. So that's my guess. 
Again, I don't do theories. That's all you're asking me about. But here's my stupid Fetterman theory is that you have to do something. So Carlin did 14 HBO specials. No one's done 14 HBO specials. So that kind of kept him in the conversation. And he talked about cultural things that still apply today. So some of his stuff shows up on YouTube and he's like, he's railing against the United States or he's railing against political correctness and people are picking up on that. And then they're like, oh, and he's talking about euphemisms. I don't know if you've ever heard that bit, but he talks about how we're changing the language and that he doesn't like it. Like it's next level stuff. And Moms Mabley is extraordinary because she grew up in an era, excuse me, came up in an era where she was primarily working just for African-American crowds until about 1961, when sort of the color barrier broke 15 years after baseball. And then that she could play nightclubs and then put out those records. And so she was a trailblazer. And so I think that's a little extraordinary. And we only caught her at the very end of her career. You know, it was it. So I would have loved to have seen her in the 1950s or 40s even. I would like to have seen her before she was moms. I would like to see her when she was just Jackie Mabley and see what that act was. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 what I would want. Is that what do you think about that? Does that sound like yeah, reasonable? I mean, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, they, I mean, yeah, you're right that they've all done something that made them so completely different that you couldn't help but notice who they were. Right, yeah, they, like they just achieved something. Lately, was Wayne. Oh my God, look at this! <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay, I'll do the dab. I'll do the. Dab. Will oh, you? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> what we have to oh, do no. is reminisce. Did you lose my audio? Nope, you're good. I'm just saying. Oh no, because Joel is like trying to get you to dab. No, I love it. I love I just, it. I want to do a show with you guys. That would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. Whenever they come back, you know, that's. It's happening. It's, oh, no, no. It's ha People are already booking rooms and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm like, as it's coming back, I definitely, I can't yeah. wait to get, I've only done like a few shows. So it's, it's. I'm fiending for it. But that's part of like, actually, someone I wanted to ask you about is like the technology side of comedy. And you have yeah. referenced how, you know, everything from the record player to television to film and now streaming, like technology, big propeller of comedy. And it, part of our mission here at Hot Breath is to cultivate the next generation of great comics. So how how do you feel technology, like, you kind of tell us the history. What do you think is next within comedy? And maybe we can kind of jump on it or help create it. All right. I, get, I, I hate to be the guy that sounds like I'm dodging every question you ask. But again, I don't know the future. All I can tell you is what's happened in the past. Well, and we are... Yeah, we are, no, we are in a huge moment right now that was accelerated by um, the coronavirus. So already, the fact, but you guys had a podcast before coronavirus, right? Mm -hmm. So already you were in what I call a hybrid comedian. You weren't doing just comedy. You were already using the Internet to sort of spread your brand or work on your act or help other comedians or. Talk to authors. I don't know what your mission statement is over there or try to, you know, create a whole wave of people who know how to dab. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> that you. So it's already happened. It was already happening between podcasts and Twitter and Instagram and 
Like comedians were using technology in what I call it. The last chapter of the book is called Digital Domain. It's all about that. And it sort of starts the first one to really kind of get traction was a guy named Dane Cook who had a MySpace account. And I know there's kids are like, what does even MySpace mean? But it was an early social media connecting site, kind of, a, I guess, Facebook, an early version of Facebook. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So, and then he went into like this, as I say in the book, this Steve Martin-esque hyperdrive where he was on the rolling, cover Rolling Stone and he was in movies and he's selling out arenas, bas- huge basketball arenas, and he hosts SNL twice. So, so that was kind of the start of it. And then obviously Mark Marin and, you know, that great podcast. And he has the president of the United States on it. And so that's what we're doing now. I'm I'm kind of like fascinated by what I call front-facing comedians. These are comedians who don't work the clubs or maybe, excuse me, some of them work the clubs and do this, but they just take their phone in front of their face, you know, and just do a bit or do a character like, hey, this is the guy at, uh, at Target not, not accepting my return, you know, or this is so-and-so who I'm trying to buy – uh, I'm at Arby's, but my coupon has expired. And this is my conversation with it. So they'll do care like little characters. It's amazing. I mean, obviously Sarah Cooper is like, has a sitcom now because she could do lip sync. Hmm. So I don't, so I don't know. What do you think? You guys are closer to the ground than I am on this stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, with the, the whole purpose of hot breath, as Joel said, is for to, help cultivate the next generation. You know, one, okay. of, one of the things that I do know of like history of comedy is that the veteran comedians have always done something, many of, not all of them, but many of them, um, to help the next generation come up. You know, Dangerfield is probably credited for helping a lot of comedians just with his one club and just giving them here, here's the time, help them out. You know, I know he helped Foxworthy and helped Foxworthy helped, Ron White. And so it's like this kind of paying it forward, helping each other out. So that's kind of the purpose of this. Um, and I know you actually kind of like mentioned that in the book is there are some comedians who help the next generation of those next generations. Well, it's I mean, they help in different ways. And can I use this little analogy that I think might help young mm-hmm. comedians who's starting out? Because. I remember when I was starting out, it's not like I'm like, oh, I forgot what it was like at the time. Like, I remember like being kind of on the outside, looking through the window, like what is going on in that club? This Mm -hmm. is amazing. You know, so this is the way I look at stand up comedy. I look at it as a huge metaphorical pool. All right. Just think of a huge pool, swimming pool. And in the shallow end is just Thousands of people trying to get in, dipping their toe in. Maybe they're doing an open mic. Maybe they don't want to do an open mic. They're trying to figure out how to swim, but they can't because it's it's the water's all churned up and people are kicking them in their face and they don't, you don't even kind of can't even do it, but they, they like the water and they want to be in it. And then you get a little deeper and you notice some people are like, oh, these guys are kind of swimming. They're emceeing at a club or something like that, or maybe doing a one nighter. They're actually swimming. They're doing this. Other people like can't swim at all and get out of the pool. They're just like, this is too horrible. When I bomb, I can't deal with this. And then you get even deeper and then you get like touring acts, you know, like uh, whatever, Whitney Cummings or uh, Joe Coy or something like that, where 
they're swimming. They're totally doing it. They're in it. They're making money. <clears throat> and then you get to the deepest end of the pool and it's, uh, there's a diving board. Wait, excuse me. <clears throat> there's a diving board and there's people cheering. And this is where Chappelle is at and Bill Burr and Melania and all those guys. And they're making millions of dollars and people are, you know, they're getting laid. And it's like, it's incredible what's going on. And so they get to be at the deep end of the pool. But if you quit or if you die, you got to get out of the pool. You can't have Richard Pryor's body floating around. They, they're <laughs> out of the pool. Okay. So when you start out, there's a whole different people in that pool than when you are in the middle of your career or at the end of your career. But no matter whether you're at the highest end of it, where you're just like Chappelle and you can do four Netflix specials in one year, that actually happened. Or you're an open micer that's like barely at the beginning, like trying to even figure out how to swim. Everyone in that pool is trying to do the same thing. Everyone is trying to get laughs. So it's you're all connected. It's all one big thing. And I've seen people go from the shallowest end to the to the high dive board in my life. I've seen it. It's not like, oh, this never happens. I've seen it. So so that's my advice and encouragement for young comedians is that you're all we're all in the same pool. There's no difference between you. Yes, he might be making more money. He might people he, he might be signing autographs. And stuff like that. But if you're getting people, you're all in the same club. You're all in this pool. And scene. And scene. And scene. Smile. And scene. <laughs> all right. So um, if you if you could put had to put a list of five to ten comedians. Oh no. Um, oh boy. For new oh, comedians boy. to study. Yes. Okay. Okay. Who would it be? Well, again, this is. <laughs> You keep asking these questions like there's a <laughs> the, there's, there's a list. Okay, I will give you five. Your, I would give you definitely George. Def, def, from I don't. <laughs> but again, my five comedians might not be the best comedians for a young comic to study. That's I don't want to be arrogant about it and go like, oh, because I love Sam Kennison. You're gonna you should watch and learn from that guy. I I don't agree with any of that. I I just find that a little what narcissistic and like. Oh, my guys are the best guys. But you are a credible source, Wayne. Like, you okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to dodge the question. I'm not going to dodge okay. the question. Okay. So, five, well, obviously, Carlin and Pryor, obviously, that's a given. You should study what they did, especially, and I'll be even more specific. For Richard Pryor, you only really have to watch one film, and that's called Richard Pryor Live in Concert from 1979. Just watch that film because he was so, anyway. Uh, I don't have to explain why Rich Pryor's great. Okay, yeah. it's stupid. Um, then I would have George Carlin. And George Carlin has three separate parts to his career. He has a, kind of the nightclub guy where he's wearing a skinny tie and a suit. And then the hippie guy, the counterculture comedian, and then sort of the social critic guy. So any, you could study any of those periods. It doesn't matter which period of that. George Carlin starts in 59, dies in June 22nd, 19, I mean, 2008. All right. The next three, I would, I think Amy Schumer, especially early Amy Schumer is an amazing comic to watch. And so obviously in my book, I read about Dave Chappelle. So I think Chappelle might be an interesting comic, although he is, he's sort of, he's sort of transcended comedy in my opinion. He's sort of become like the nation's 
Like whenever there's an election, suddenly he's hosting SNL and we want to hear what Chappelle has to say about the situation. So and then my fifth. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I would. This is an old school guy uh, from the 50s and 60s named Jonathan Winters, who was an improvisational comedian. Mm. And that would be my fifth. And I, I'm sure there's somebody ridiculous I'm leaving off. But I love I love all com- from open micers to like headliners. I love them all. By the way, I think uh, Nikki Glaser is amazing. Also, amazing joke writer, amazing comic, really figured it out. Sam Morell. He's another like that's probably the guy you should watch for strong jokes. He has a YouTube special. God, I can't remember the name of it. I got this. I think it's called I Got This. It's incredible. Free on YouTube. No commercials. Sam Morrell, M-O-R-R-I-L. So I gave you seven. Is that enough? Hey, there you go. Yeah, I could go. I literally could name another 20. Like, I just love stand-ups. See? I, there you go. Every Look, every college professor does it. Read these books because this I is know, I know. the subject. <laughs> i know i oh and read my book read my book if you want if you want to know where it all came from read my I, book if you don't don't read the book I, that, I actually you know. did have a professor he taught vietnam history and like basically all the books we had to read was his books because yeah, that was the only book i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord that was great that was great no but i mean the, all seven of those are very very interesting so thank you um, thank you <laughs> and I know we want to talk about other things than just the book, but um, going going back going to the begin the beginning the the forefathers, mm-hmm. there's like really one of the forefathers that I never heard of, and that's Burt Williams. Wow. Okay, I thought it would be Artemis Ward. He's the one I had never heard of, and I like I said I've stu- been studying stand up history since high school. I went to high school in Florida, by the way. I don't want to brag. So. um yeah, Burt Williams was African American dude who was obviously had to, you know, would play <laughs> like just a horrific kind of discrimination he had to deal with, but found a great humanity in what he did. And I was just rereading a book written like five years after he died, with all the people just talking about how how he touched them and how he brought comedy to a new level. If you haven't seen anything of his, and he didn't only do straight stand-up. He did pantomime. He did songs. He did, you know, back then, comedians were kind of asked to do more than just straight joke telling. But he did a uh, a pantomime of a guy in jail playing a poker game. And he used to do it at the Palace Theater. So you get a sense of what somebody in 1922, 1919 would see when they went to to see a vaudeville show which is where a lot of great stand-ups, Bob Hope, Jack Benny, Milton Berle, all came out of vaudeville, and Fred Allen. So so he's just, he's beautiful. He's just a beautiful guy, just incredible. And um, yeah, get to know Burt Williams. <laughs> if you're interested in stand-up history, I don't know if knowing about Burt Williams is going to help you, you know, with your audition night at <laughs> Side Splitters, but, <laughs> but it might inform you as a human being to know a little about this. Mm-hmm. You know, no, in mean, the same way, like, I don't know if people study the swing of Ty Cobb as opposed to Jose Altuve. 
You know what I mean? Like you're kind of watching what you're watching is like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing. He's he's pitching. You know, they're both swinging. You know, Ty. I mean, there's footage of Ty Cobb swinging. I just don't know if people are studying that swing. Um, but I mean, if anything, it's how it's evolved. Right. Ex- very good. Look at you. You are a teacher. I get hey, it. Man. No, look, actually, <laughs> I, I, I really hate to say this, but I did find it interesting studying the different swings of Ty Cobb and you did? Ruth compared to, yeah, the modern okay. the modern day swings. Because a lot of them would like kind of cross step and walk into a swing. But I'm a baseball fan, so. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So that would, that's like that worthless. Yeah, opening day is coming up, use. right? Opening day is coming up. Tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow's opening day. I meant opening day coming up. I meant mm-hmm. Hours away. Tomorrow's <laughs> opening day, but I'm a Giants fan, so opening day is Friday. Oh, okay. There you go. Do you go back to um, when they were in New York? Is that when you first liked them? Well, I'm kidding. I'm you old. would be too. You, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I always like. Oh. I always like when people do that thing. Like, oh yeah, I saw them at Ebbets Field. No, you didn't. You're 28. I. Uh, I mean, I know. Yeah. Anyways, I know of the Polo Grounds. It's one of the the right. worst stadiums ever. But I yes. go back to I go back to the. 80s. If I'm not mistaken, the longest fence in baseball history, right? Yes. Five hundred feet, yes. something like that. Look it, at it me, all the way back. Look at me. I meant to say Ebbets Field. I don't know why I said Polo Grounds. Ebbets, um, Ebbets Field was, was Dodgers. That's the yeah. Dodgers place. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. All before my all before my time, guys. All before my time. <laughs> Joel, question. We had a few people here commenting with some questions, actually. I love it. Uh, Mike Marr, have you been back to Utah or Idaho? I haven't been back to neither. I've played both of those states. I love I love Utah. I'm a huge, unlike uh, Bo, I'm a more of an NBA guy because it's an association. It's not even a league. And... I love the jazz. I wrote a book on Pete Maravich years ago. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I have a strong affection for Utah. Every time I've been there, I've had a great time. Every single time. I just think the people are incredible and great laughers. Oh, by the way, I write about it in the book. You know, there's a huge scene in Provo, Provo, where they're taping comedy specials for dry bar. Yeah. And I just think they are crushing it. I love the specials on Dry Bar. Some of those comics are so good, so incredibly good. Uh, it's in, and they get millions of views. It's just been a great. It's a. It's an example. What was the expression? Empty like find part. a different car. Yeah, different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Foxworthy. It so was just like, oh, yeah. You like Netflix is great, and obviously that's the top of the food chain. But right. I mean, Dry Bar is really killing it in Provo. Hats yeah, off to found, those guys. Like, you, you talked to them, you said? No, I haven't spoke to I wrote about them in the book briefly, uh, yeah. Oh, you haven't spoke to them. Yeah, because I would love to know more about what's going on there. I think, yeah, their their empty parking space was like cling comedy. Yeah. Where can people go to just... Because I think they have a... I think it's underneath like their company, like VidAngel, which is like a clean Netflix, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll play stuff on Netflix, but it's like edited for like all suitable for all ages. Like they found an empty parking space and are just doubling down on it, you know? Right. Because that's really what we want to do here, Wayne, is like we want to be producing our own comedy specials and have our own podcast network and really create a platform for that next generation of comedy. You have it like a place where people could perform and record albums and stuff? We will. 
Okay. We I will. Happening. Yeah. All right. I mean, what, what's crazy about this is like the podcast has been around for a little over five years, but this community, all this online stuff, like it started at the pandemic, you know, like last yep. year was my 10 year comedy anniversary. I released my self produced comedy special. I was booked on t- like, I was booked as a headliner. Like this was my, this 10 years I'm doing it. And then all of a sudden, boom, quarantine hits, everything evaporates. And I was like, well, what do I have? I was like, I have this podcast. And now this online community has been growing as we do the daily writing clubs and contests. And now the vision is to create a platform for comics, you know? I love it. I'm endorsing it. Wayne Fetterman endorses what you guys are doing. I'm a big believer in supporting young comics. Because one, if they're good, it makes you look good. And two, it just gives them... So they don't have to navigate the hardest part of the pool, which is the beginning part of the pool. Exactly. And that's that's what I we know it, Bo, you know it. That part of the pool is just it can be brutal. And I've yeah. seen many comics who were good couldn't handle it. Yeah. They just couldn't handle it. Yeah, we're super intentional about being positive and supportive here because the my experience in the those are oh wait what was that that was a half tap oh he, he got he, he, he snuck it in there got a half tap he snuck We're it close. in there we may get a full dab by the end I, I don't know don't get your ropes up that means Ashley's going oh my god oh my god <laughs> sorry Ash. now I gave a half tap all right I'll take a half, half tap all right uh, Ben Webb asks is stand up an art form and if no why not okay who is Ben do you know that guy ish. Okay, Ben, great question. Um, I don't know. Ben, apparently these people aren't, uh, you have some sort of issue with uh, Bo. uh, Yes, I think it is an art form, although there's a, some people think of it more as a skill, as a, like a trade, like something you learn, like how to finish furniture. Like if you just do it enough, pretty soon, most people can be pretty good at finishing furniture. I mean, some people are great at it right away and other people aren't. So some of them think of it as a skill that you acquire. I think of it as an art form. And let me tell you why, because I, this is going to sound stupid, but I'm going to say it out loud because I think of art as anything that has no value outside of the human brain, out of interaction with the human brain. So if you see a painting, it interacts with your brain. You're like, oh. I'm moved by this. I'm not moved by this. I think the look at the smile on the Mona Lisa. This is incredible. So, but if there's no value of it, it's not like, Oh, I can use this painting to walk upstairs or to, it doesn't do anything except interact with the human brain. So comedy is the definition of interacting with the human brain. So dogs, you can't really do stand up for dogs. You can't, there's no value of it outside of people wanting to laugh. So that's my answer. What does that sound right to you? I've never been asked that, that question, by the does way. Does it sound right to you? I mean, that's kind of. I don't know. I'm floating it. I'm fl- I've never been asked that question before. <laughs> I write in the book. I do call it an art form. So that's that's the thing. It's like so like some art forms are low, like, you know, stupid sitcoms and stuff. But I still feel like there's, you know, I mean, there is some. Com- it's, a, it's a deep question. But yes, I do think it's an art form. So we talked about your your writing process when you were on the Tonight Show. Um, it was actually late comedy. night with Jimmy. Actually, late night with Jimmy. The late night, late night. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. It. Yeah. Sorry. Late night. But um, Whoa, with comedy, fired. 
Huh? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joel with the comedy. Does that mean I get an unemployment check? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> right, that could be the name of your new podcast, Gaming the System. That could be a good one. <laughs> you fire yourself and then you get the unemployment. I love it. So, so we talked about your writing process on late night, yeah. uh, but w- in comedy in general with stand up, what is your writing process? Oh, I'll tell you right now. Um, I always keep with me a piece of paper. I always write down any idea, any word, any expression, anything that strikes me as could be funny, could be a uh, possible bit. I'll give you an example. I wrote down the word uh, microdose. The first time I heard microdose, I was like, oh, I'm microdosing. I'm like, okay, that's hilarious. Like why, you know, when they people say it, they don't even, that's what com- comedians do. We Something that everyone sees but you realize, oh, this could be funny. And so I started going on stage. At first, I was like, um, sorry if I seem a little sluggish. I've been, uh, wait, hold on, hold on. Something's happening. Something's happening. That Dropbox, okay, sorry. Something happened on my computer. Um, so I go, I'm sorry if I'm a little groggy. I've been microdosing ayahuasca. Like that was my first take at it and people kind of giggled and it was like i think that's too much i think it's too much the microdosing in ayahuasca and not a lot of people know what that is and so now it's going to oh i've been feeling great uh for the last uh two months i've been microdosing claritin and so now i have a joke that's how i write a joke that's a stupid joke for me Mm -hmm. so uh i just heard it wrote it down tried it out made it work that's my writing process. It's kind of like Seinfeld a little bit, but he writes every day and I don't. How oh. often do you write? Yeah. I write when I'm kind of like inspired to write or like if I have a show coming up, it, it focuses me, but I can't write every day. I mean, I can, it's just, it's hard for me. It's very difficult. And I don't want it to seem like work. See, but early on, this is why Seinfeld is great and should have been on my list of comedians for you, those kids to watch. It's because he was doing a day job and he saw some construction workers across the street. I think you know this story, Joel. I see you nodding. I love it. And he was like, oh, if I could apply that work ethic to these guys who get up every day and go to work to stand up, I think I, I think I can maybe do this. And he did. It's, that's exactly what he did. It's so inspiring to me. Uh, John asks, John Mulhill asks, what do you think about the it's all been done before mentality? Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, that is that is one of those. Well, there's a lot. That's an excellent question. Excellent question. Um, what's his name? John? John, yep. John, good work. Um, it hasn't. It there, yes, it has been all been like the, the every kind of joke has been done. But there's you're just gonna, you know, what hasn't been done before is your life experience. Like what you've lived has never been done before. People can't steal it because whatever you went to side splitters and did this show, or you you know you were a teacher and you're disgruntled about this, and you wish you would you hate your guidance counselor from high school in whatever it was the '90s or something, and then. So, or in the 2000s, I don't know how old you are. The, so yes, in a way it has, and it hasn't been done before. I just know as a comedian, a lot of times I hear jokes that I'm like, 
oh, Elaine Boozler did that joke in 1977. No one cares. No one cares. Just kind of do your stuff. Don't steal any material from other comedians. Be supportive of them. I love this is like a therapy session. And then uh, try to come up with something original. You can do it. There's a there's millions of ways to crack this. You know, create an Instagram live a show. And do it that way and then do clubs at night. How long do you give a joke and um, that's not no. working before you say, okay, this is done. We're, we're not going any further. Or oh. do you try to change it? Uh, I try. Sometimes they die. Yeah. Um, I would, I would think at least five times, at least five mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Joel. I'm loving it. This Joel, is Joel's caught up in the moment right now. I Guys, I'm a caught up in the moment. I love talking about stand up and young, especially young stand ups. Yeah, I think that that's what's so inspiring with this and getting to interview like comics at your level and experience is the the empathy for like younger comics and like camaraderie within comedy that can some it, it can be hard to find sometimes in the competitiveness yeah. and you start comedy alone and confused and you're like, what am I even doing? But yeah. to hear comics like you like really sharing that is inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm a big believer in it. I remember, here's something brutal, shallow end of the pool moment for me when I was starting out. There were comedians, hyper competitive comedians that like they like people would be bantering jokes back and forth or they would see a comedian do a joke and the joke was bad and they tell the comedian the joke was good so they'd keep it in their act and hopefully be <laughs> able to piggyback them. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I know it's funny. It's funny, but it's brutal. I saw it with my own eyes. Wow. Like they're like, oh, he's my competition. If he keeps this priest bit in there, he's there's no way that he's gonna pass a catch a rising star. I was like, it just hurt my heart so much. I'm like, oh, I guess you're not looking at stand up as some beautiful thing like I am. All right. <laughs> what is I always ask this on <laughs> on uh saw it, saw it with these eyes. Part of part of it is like the bombing side of stand up, and that mm-hmm. can scare people away as well. Like, what is well, you knowing like the history of stand up as well? Like, what is your worst bomb, or like what is a bomb in the history of stand up that like reverberates? Maybe both. You know, let let's get to that. Well, here's an interesting thing about bombing. It's like I'm I'm one of the reasons it's amazing I can do stand up is I'm super sensitive. I'm like if I feel like it's starting to go south. I can feel it. You can see it on my face. I start to get flush. My mouth gets dry. People in the audience can sense it like a animal, like I like I'm a trapped animal or something. So it's it's really bad. Like, uh, but I remember what uh, Dave Chappelle. I'm going to go back to Dave Chappelle, one of the comedians I told you to maybe study. He bombed and got yelled, kicked off the stage at the famous Apollo Theater. They have an amateur night. It's been going on since 1934. So he gets thing, blue, but uh, get off the stage. They tap dance you off the stage or brush you with the broom off the stage. Humiliation. And after the show, this is what's great about Chappelle. This is just what's great about Mr. Chappelle. He was like, oh, guess what? I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still a comedian. That happened. That's probably the worst thing that can happen to me. Like that's the ultimate. All right. I I think I can deal with it. I, that's not a problem. That's not going to be a problem for me. And he said from then on, he said he felt like he was bulletproof. Mm. There was no scenario where he was like, 
all right, I've already been through the, this worst thing that could possibly happen, rejected by a group of people that I really want to impress. So it's all how you handle those bombs. Unlike me, who would like, it would really upset me, not to the point, almost to the point of tears sometimes. I'll be honest with you, but I'm sensitive. Again, it's I'm from worst. Florida. I'm from Florida. It's the worst. <laughs> it's, it feels worst? like such a rejection of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not the worst thing that could happen to somebody from Florida. Right. That's true. That is true. I mean, it's not like you took an alligator through a drive through or anything. So, no, I know that happens all the time. Germany <laughs> or Florida? Germany or Florida? I know that's a bit. Uh, what was your worst one of those ones that almost brought you to tears or did? Well, I had one in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Holiday Inn, I was booked there. I get <laughs> there's so many elements to it, but basically, I like I have about I don't know 35 minutes at that time, but I'm booked for an hour, huh. like a half hour show, and then a break and another half hour show, and it's going so poorly that I'm rushing through my act and I'm done my 35 minutes in 20. 15 minutes of the first part. So then I'm like, I'm doing Paul Reiser's jokes. I'm doing any joke I can remember doing the thing. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to take a break, go up to, they gave me a room for the night. So I'm in my room. I'm just writing out anyone's act, George Wallace, any, any joke for this next 30 minutes that I can make. I'm writing. And I hear through the bottom of the floor. Please welcome back to the stage. Wayne Fetterman. I'm like in the hotel room. And I can hear it from the lounge below. I'm like, I've just been introduced. So I run down there and sweat through the other 30 minutes. The guy didn't even wait to see if I was there. And it was, yeah, that was probably the worst night. That was probably the worst. Yeah. That's, yeah, that. Mechanicsburg. I'd love to go back there and see that. I'd like to, because I remember that Holiday Inn. I still have the flyer from it. Oh, yeah, that's nice. I keep flyers, too. Yeah, I'd say we're all in the same pool, baby. Yeah. We're all in the same pool. <laughs> Love it. Le- Listen, lesson I, from this uh, this session is we're all in the same pool. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I I have to go in three minutes, so okay. I don't oh, want to. Yeah. We're yeah. landing right. the plane. Yep, okay. and we are, we're going to land this plane right now, as Joel likes to say. So um, how can um, younger comedians uh, follow you, find you, take your class? You got to go to USC to take my class, unfortunately. But anything that I teach in that class, I'd be happy to tell anyone. It's 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 really fun. I mean, those are they're just great kids, and I actually see myself in them, so that's inspiring, and it's just mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Um, just at Fetterman on Twitter, you can you know there you can send me a message or ask me a question or something like that. And I have a website, lanefetterman.com. You know, just the classics. There's an Instagram. I'm on Insta Fetterman. I, I don't know if anyone wants to follow me. If you're interested in the history of stand-up, as opposed to a how-to book on how to do stand-up, you may want to get my book. It's from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. I started in 1859 and go to 2021. All right. There it is. Boom. Okay. History yeah. of stand-up. There it is, Hot Breath of Verse. If you found even one thing from this episode helpful and insightful, reach out to Wayne and let him know. We are right now comedy's best kept secret. And a way to keep growing the Hot Breath of Verse is for you to reach out to guests and let them know how awesome their appearance was on this show and sharing it with your fellow comedians and letting them know, hey, Hot Breath is a four comics by comics 
platform that is cultivating the next generation of self-made comics. So I'm so excited for you to be on this journey with us. Wayne's book is linked in the description of this episode, along with our comedy resources from our workshops and classes and much more, all to help you level up your comedy game. And that is it. Until next Monday, right here on... Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.